Okay, hi guys, how's it going? Welcome. How's everybody doing? Excellent. Okay, well, we're gonna go ahead and get started. Um, I'll kind of frame up, I have to do this because I can't see you otherwise. Um, let me frame up what we're doing and, uh, and why we're doing it really briefly. Uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into this because we don't have just a, a, a ton of time. Um, our previous Q&As over the last you know, 10 years at winter camp are like three hours long. Um, but I think today's is only like an hour and 10 hour minutes, now. hour and uneven. Um, so um, my name is Garrett Davis. Uh, I'm a pastor uh, and a campus pastor, and I have been uh, in some form or other for the last 15 years. I'm also a professor of sociology at UT Dallas. Um, yep, whoosh. Uh, and I direct the Collin College campuses as well. Uh, and this is uh, Ronnie Worsham. He is uh, the the head pastor, uh, the head pastor uh, at uh, Northeastern Garland, uh, and in many ways uh, uh, the patriarch of our, our family of churches in focus. Uh, and and we're excited to get to to have him speaking uh, today. And then you got Ryan, who's going to be kind of our facilitator and question asker and things like that. Um, yeah, Ryan's great. We like him as well. He's a pastor <laughs> over at UNT. Um, so. We're obviously doing a, uh, a Q&R, a question and response, rather than question and answer. Maybe we should call it that. So it's a question and response um, over mental health from a biblical perspective. And so the questions that we answer today, uh, uh, we're not intending to veer out of our lane. Does anybody have professors that like to pretend they're theologians sometimes and talk about the existence of God or the lack thereof um, or any manner of other things that they're talking about? Uh, life and things like that. Who enjoys, who just loves it when their professor of mathematics really starts uh, waxing on and waning on the, uh, on, on the intelligent creation and things like that. It's a real, it's a real blast, right? Um, I say that sarcastically because obviously uh, we are who we are. I'm not a psychiatrist, nor am I a psychologist, although I have friends who are, and, uh, and I have some experience in those fields. Uh, I'm not going to be responding as one of those things. I'm going to be responding today as a pastor, and so is Ronnie. Uh, as someone who who uh, has thought about these things, has counseled people from a biblical and pastoral perspective, uh, and that's what today is about. Uh, and we, uh, we'll, we'll describe some of our viewpoints and our paradigms around mental health as we go. And I encourage you, if you have any kind of questions or whatever afterwards, to just come and talk to us. Um, we, we do not claim to have everything together. We do not claim to have all knowledge, uh, but we do have uh, the spirit of God uh, and experience uh, under our belts. And we've all obviously uh, gotten to do a lot of ministry with people who have had mental health issues. So I just want to frame that around that so you guys know we're not planning to get out of our lane on that, so to speak. Uh, and uh, we're not really trying to, to come from that perspective. So if you're going to ask us some DSM-5 questions around what the, uh, the definition of this or that is, then we don't have a lot of, of perspective on it. However, I will say there are some legitimate questions about the DSM-5 that you might ask us, like how come things keep getting taken out and putting and putting in and things like that? How do you explain that phenomenon, right? Um, we do have some thoughts around culture and change and mental health and things like that. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I framed that well for us to make sure that you guys know where we're coming from. And also, neither of us have seen any of these questions. Uh, so it should be really interesting. 
We probably could have if uh, Ronnie and I were that kind of person. Yeah, you refused, actually. Yeah. yeah. He was like, you want to see him? And I was like, no, no, no. Let's just uh, just go off the cuff. So, yeah. Cool. Ronnie, you want to add anything to that? Nope. Excellent. Rare. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a couple things on the question. So, there was obviously a lot of them, which is great. Thank you guys for putting all the thoughtful questions in there. And so, some of the questions we combined because they were similar. So, if you hear kind of something that sounds similar but not exactly yours, you know that's probably uh, what we were trying to get at with multiple of them. But yeah, thank you guys for doing that. Okay, real, uh, real easy one to start. Um, just kidding. Are things like anxiety, depression, ADHD, mental health issues, uh, evil spirits, like spirit of fear, or similar to that? We had a couple questions, just kind of like, how do we think about where these things come from? Is there any way we can turn off the flashing lights that are right here? <laughs> There's blue flashing lights that are just randomly flashing in. All right. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. That's all I have to say on that question. Take it away, Ronnie. Obviously, they can do a lot of things to us, and they're very real. Um, when we read the, the Bible, we just don't see really a whole lot about demonic influence in the Scripture, and we really don't see a demon behind every malady at all. So I think that we can assume that demons are going to mess with us and so forth. But um, but I would I would never assume there's a, there's this whole deliverance ministry stuff that's out there, which is kind of a construct that people come up with. Um, but I've not found that particularly helpful. I think for those of us that have been around. Um, we can begin to start sniffing out that there's something more going on. Uh, so, but if you've, you've if you have uh, messed with the occult in any way, and you're having some particular issues, you might want to talk to one of us about that because that uh, demons are not everywhere all at once. They're limited. We're not sure what they are. They're called evil spirits. Um, but they are real. I've been doing this 50 years, and I've heard three demons speak. And, and um, you know, so it's just not something that you see a lot, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I, um, i trying to think of how to put this. By nature, I'm very skeptical. Um, and... I am someone who, um, I mean, maybe by nature I should say I'm both skeptical and critical. Uh, maybe some of you share that with me as well, to where you walk into any given church service where the people are speaking in tongues or, you know, people are getting, you know, slain in the spirit and things like that. And I am uncomfortable. Um, not to say that stuff is not real, uh, but to say I'm just kind of uncomfortable by it. That being said, uh, I have seen firsthand and experienced firsthand uh, similar, something similar uh, numerous times to what Ronnie's uh, mentioning. Uh, it's very inconvenient for me uh, to note the, <laughs> that I've had that experience, uh, those experiences, I should say. Um, and I'll just say, like Ronnie said, you know, we have a very real enemy. It's not ideological. 
Our enemy is not ideological. It is an actual kingdom. Uh, and it is ruled by a malevolent being named Satan. <laughs> and that sounds wacky. If you're a non-Christian in here right now, and you've like planned to infiltrate our ranks to see how crazy we are, get ready. <laughs> um, because I'm telling you, uh, Satan is very real. Um, we have, uh, uh, and he has power in this world. Uh, he, he has a, uh, a force of evil spirits. Like Ronnie says, we don't know exactly how they came about. We know that they are, they are real. And so he wields that power in the world. There's no doubt about that. Two, though, chalk all mental health issues up to that would be, uh, I think, wrong. Um, I think that there are probably few that are, and some that are, specifically for those people um, who have made themselves open to it. Uh, there was a gal not more than a few years ago who um, had some very significant uh, issues going on, and I began to ask her some questions about whether she had dealt with the occult, and the, the answer was that she had, and that she uh, she was hearing voices and things like that. Um, and it turns out that uh, she had been willingly trying to engage in a conversation with the demon. Uh, that was troubling, uh, to say the least. And my counsel to her was that she should stop, uh, she should repent, and that she should um, pursue the Lord and give her life to him and stop doing that. When she stopped doing that, it's amazing how much that it helped because she uh, was able to overcome that uh, experience, uh, at least temporarily. I heard uh, uh, not more than a year, a year later that she was kind of back in the same place, which is uh, difficult and confusing, obviously. But that being said, I do think that there is uh, there is uh, spiritual forces at work that seek to oppress uh, and that seek to to harm us. There's a malevolent, evil kingdom that's at work. However, I'm not quick to chalk up mental health issues to that. Anxiety, depression, all those kind of things. I think like Ronnie says, there is a, a very specific kind of attack going on in those situations. And it's, uh, it's requiring of discernment from someone that has those experiences and knows what's going on to kind of be able to help um, figure out if that is the case. Yeah, this one is about um, essentially putting our hope or our... Um Spending our time investing in more worldly things, does that lead to more mental health issues, cause us to be more anxious, et cetera? And then on the other side, does consistent spiritual time make your mental health better? What was the last part? Does consistent spiritual time make your mental health better? Spiritual time? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um Yours is the first generation that is feeding yourself on awful stuff all day long. If you just spend a little bit of time looking at what you're reading and seeing on social media, um, media of all kinds, songs, um, television, movies, uh, it's all uh, inflammatory stuff. And when I say all, I, I, it's kind of a hyperbole, but it's mostly that. And during a time when we have the most mental health care we've ever had by far, we recognize uh, mental illness. Uh, we've become, it's become much less stigmatized. Uh, 
when you've got very real medication that can sometimes help. We have a pandemic of anxiety and depression among you, and I'm telling you right now, it's because you are feeding yourself on stuff that is intended to mess you up. And that's where evil is coming in. Um, there's no doubt that Satan has two primary homes, and one of them is Hollywood, and the other one's Washington, D.C., and I mean that literally. Um, just like he made his home in Pergamum in the first century, um, these are places that he can influence people. And so, you know, you go to counseling for an hour a week, and then you go watch social media. I mean, look at social media three or five, six, seven hours a day and uh, wonder why you're depressed and anxious. That's kind of like somebody swimming a septic tank and wondering why they have an E. coli infection. Um, you know, you're just infecting yourself. You've got to limit that stuff. Um, and we, we can't counter that. I can't counsel that out of you. Because again, if you go to the doctor and take an antibiotic for an infection and then go right back and do the same thing that gave you that infection, you're going to get infected again. And that's what's going on. That's the primary thing. There's enough stuff anyway. But when you do that, and, and even when you're looking at, at people, um, you're looking at snapshots of people and the messages are are just deceptive in the sense that maybe it's the highlight or the one thing, and you begin to think this is how everybody else lives. And, and your expectations have been just um, built up to be outrageous, that you're supposed to be happy all the time. You're supposed to feel good, that life is all about you know, being fulfilled and happy, and it's just, that's ridiculous. Our we follow a Lord who was called a man of sorrows, and we want to be happy all the time. Uh, we have a beatitude that said, blessed are those that mourn, but we don't want to mourn. Uh, we, we, we think there's something wrong with that. We're supposed to be happy, and, and that's fueling a lot of the drug addiction. Um, people looking for that in all the wrong places. So, yeah, you, you, if you want to see... The primary disease problem in America, look at what people eat. Uh, what we eat is one of the biggest causes of early disease. And yet, you know, we wonder what's going on. Well, there you go. And it's the same thing with your diet of what you look at. Now, spiritual time, I don't, um, I'm reluctant to kind of use some of that language for the all day ought to be spiritual time for us. We ought to walk with God. And this idea, I have people ask me about my quiet times, and I, and I talk about them. I like getting up and showing up for God every morning that I can. Uh, but I don't feel like I've fallen away if I don't. And I don't have this idea that if I pray, I have a great day. And if I don't pray, I don't. I don't. I don't experience that, but, you know, for me, it really is about walking with God. I'm just as much with Jesus right now as I was this morning, and I got up at five and spent an hour and a half. Um, that's great, but, you know, I'm with, you know, a couple of really good brothers sitting up here that I love and respect and have highest regard for. They're full of the Holy Spirit, as are you. Uh, this is the body of Christ. How can I be here and not be with Jesus, I think we're just not God aware. 
So I'm going to challenge you to be God aware. Just be aware that God's here and he's ever present. You don't look up in the sky to see him. Look at the people sitting around you. Yeah, I mean, if you've, um, if you've ever been driving and you look out your window one way or another, what happens? Like if I look to the left while I'm driving, that's right, you turn left, in case you don't know that. You look and then you go where you look. And the truth is that we become what we behold. Simple as that. Behold means to look at, to, to see, to, to countenance something. You spend your whole day looking at that stuff. You become that stuff. You become as cheesy, as passing, as sinful, as whatever, as those things that you spend your day beholding. That's what you become. And what Ronnie's talking about is spending, you know, an entire, spending your life beholding reality, beholding God, looking at uh, image bearers next to you, looking at uh, God himself. Um, and when you, when you, when you do that with your life, you become like Christ. When you behold Christ, you become like him. When you behold the world, you become like it. And the more that you fill your time, uh, with consuming the things that the world consumes, you shouldn't be surprised that you become the way the world becomes. And if the question is, uh, is there a connection between things like social media and anxiety, stress, and different mental health issues? The answer is factually, provably, already very much yes. That's not even a Christian thing. <laughs> Let's just throw that out of it. Let's just throw basic neuroscience at it and say, yeah, we are probably the most addicted generation to have ever walked the face of the earth. We are addicted. Watch this. Get rid of all social media right now on your phones. Yeah, I thought so. It's not even a thought. You're like, nope. What would happen to all the followers or the people? I, I got to know what's happened with Kim K, you know? I got to know what's going on with so-and-so. Dude, stuff like TikTok, I'm telling you, I'm not even like an old school kind of person. Like Ronnie. Um, I'm new school, and I think this stuff is obvious. It is, there are very clear lines here. When we become addicted to things, it shouldn't be surprised that our mental health languishes, okay? Um, one of the things that your generation fears the most is just stopping. To just stop. To just sit alone with your thoughts for 10 minutes is terrifying to people. Really genuinely scary. And I know people, a lot of students that are in this boat, they're afraid to be alone and to just be alone with their thoughts. Uh, there's a, I, I'm totally blind what I'm saying. There's a show called Dave uh, that was about a rapper called Lil Dicky. And uh, I know, and I did. I watched the entire season. Shame on me. I do not recommend it. However, there was a poignant scene where he walks in to his house and his friend is like in the kitchen, just kind of sitting there like this. And Dave says, what are you doing in here? And he's like, just, just thinking. And he's like, what are you like a psychopath? Like you're just sitting there, like not looking at your phone, doing anything. And he's like, I'm not a mental weakling. I can be alone with my thoughts for 10 minutes. And I remember I heard that phrase and I was like, that's it. That is it. 
We are a generation that cannot be alone with our thoughts and we cannot be alone with God. We have to have stimulation. And as a result, we're surprised that something like anxiety runs rampant through us. Do you know what anxiety really is? It's just over stimulation in a lot of different ways. I've experienced it. I know. Okay. I'm not saying from, uh, uh, you know, like looking down at it, I've experienced it firsthand. It's because I, I did too much. I went too fast. I didn't know how to stop. Um, but yeah, so much of, of what's going on right now, it, we'd be fools to not point out that this massive climb in mental health issues is not also associated with the massive influx of all the information entertainment and stuff that we have available to us because we don't know how to be people who stop and listen. Yeah. I just want to, Oh, am I off? I want to add one caveat here just to say, certainly not all depression and anxiety are caused by media. I don't, I don't want to say that at all. It's a very real problem. And therefore, especially if you're kind of susceptible to that already, you, you can't do what maybe some other people do. And so you just have to be more careful. But even at that, you, you just want to look at what you're consuming all week. And it could, because that's what you're going to be. We had a lot of questions on kind of the intersection of mental health issues and trusting God. This one is how do you balance dealing with anxious thoughts and trusting God? I feel like I just talked a lot. Um, <clears throat> Dealing with anxious, anxious thoughts and trusting God. Um, trusting God is either something that is dependent on your circumstances or it is not. And faith dictates that you begin with trusting God, not that you begin with an uh, ideal set of circumstances that leads you to trusting God. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm trying to like put this in the most uh, uh, certain of terms as I can. It is difficult to trust God, is it not? Because we have problems. Does anybody in here, let me just see a show of hands. Who's got a problem, both uh, either personal or otherwise, that you wish God would fix or stop for you? Anybody? Look around real quick. Everybody, everybody has some serious problem that they're battling, whether it's internal or physical, situational, familial. We've got these difficult battles that we're fighting. And God has never promised us that he's going to get rid of those things. Think about Jesus. Jesus himself was despised, scorned, and ultimately murdered. That's God, by the way, right? He has said, I too suffer. So who are we to think that we won't? It is so, it's sad, obviously. Whenever we grapple with these thorns in the flesh and we have these problems, we're anxious or we're depressed and we're like, God, what am I doing? What did I do to deserve this? Have you ever asked God that question? What did I do to deserve this thing? What, like, did I do something bad or you, you, do you have something against me? A lot of times I find that people are asking themselves that question and what they need to hear is, no, you didn't. You're living in a fallen world. God is not, God is not going to always deliver you from storms, even though he will sometimes. 
God delivers you through storms. He promises not that you will not have trouble. In fact, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says and promises to you, you will have problems. I will be with you though. I will be with you. That is the promise of God that at your worst, you've got to look at and rely on. When you are desperately anxious, desperately depressed, and you are just at just the bottom of the valley. You know what I'm talking about. At that moment, you just have to sit back and believe, not that it's just going to be better overnight or anything like that, nothing fake. Believe God is with you at your absolute worst and in your greatest hour of need. And if the question is, why hasn't he saved me yet? Why hasn't that happened yet? The answer is something that is the same that God said to Job. Does anyone know that story where Job had lots of questions for God and was like, why aren't you getting on your horse and saving me already? Is this not enough? Does everyone remember God's response to Job? It's essentially, that's above your pay grade. I love you desperately, dear child. Would you please trust me? I promise to be with you. And that's where we have to be with those things. You know, there's always been two choices. There's the tree of life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil manifests itself as humanism. It's about us and we're going to figure it out. We don't need God. We're going to be gods. Uh, that's uh, if you're one of those people that think you have a truth, you're eating that fruit. Um, and, you know, you... You have to believe in God to eat from the tree of life. That's just the way it works. And humanism has manifested itself over and over, and that's why today the greatest offense that you can, can make is to offend another human. Now, you can swear against God and slander God and be as irreverent as you want, and that's, perfect, that's fine. But you dare offend a human because they're gods. And... We don't say that. So there, there's two different paradigms. Where do they intersect? They really, they intersect at the scientific level of just understanding how we're made, how we're wired, the kinds of things that we need in life. And we have to figure out where we're going. Um, um, and so... They're just different paradigms. You know, you listen to Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own thinking inside. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's, 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 a, it's a result, straight paths. He's talking about he'll smooth your road out. It won't be this and just crazy all the time. He'll smooth you, smooth you out. Um, you know, as the, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so is my word that proceeds forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. And he says what it was for. You will go out in joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and the field, the trees will clap their hands for you. 
And it's, that's the purpose. That's uh, Isaiah 55, I don't know, about verse 10. The, um, again, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. See, somebody that doesn't know Jesus can't even begin to understand. What does that even mean? Well, I think you hear people say, God's got it. Okay, that's good. It's I'm rejoicing in the reality. See, too many of us, if you have low self-esteem, you are looking at yourself through the eyes of the world. Because if you're looking through the eyes of God, you're going to know you're priceless. You're a dearly loved child. You are special and unique among all humans, and you are wanted by the God of creation. And if you feel worthless, you're looking through the eyes of the world. And, and that's why Jesus' opening message in, in Mark 1.15 is repent and believe the gospel. Repent means change your thinking, change your mind. You're thinking wrong. You need to repent and believe the gospel. So rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your, your forbearance be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, if anything is dot, 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 excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And it's just, it's, it's a result. But you're going to be reasonable. If, you, if, you do, if you've never read the complete serenity prayer, now, it's, it's the AA uses the first four lines of it, but that's, they get it of the best part. Just Google complete serenity prayer. And, and it, it um, Reinhold Niebuhr is considered the father of Christian realism in the, the century because, you know, we, we, we swing back and forth from this liberalism to some kind of conservative, conservatism, conservatism. My mouth's getting dry, I need a drink here. But, um, and in the early 20th century, it, it had swung over to this idealism. We create heaven on earth and all that. And then, you know, people start doing what they do and you find out, no, we're not going to create the ideal here. We can't create heaven on earth. That's not going to happen. And he, he wrote that serenity prayer, you know, and you pray that prayer. I pray that if I'm going through a tough time, I just pray it every day. You know, living one day at a time, one moment at a time, accepting this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it to be, so that I might be reasonably happy, reasonably happy in this life, and supremely so in the one to come. Yeah, this next batch of questions was around, um, yeah, essentially, how do I help a friend or someone I'm mentoring or uh, anybody in my life with mental health issues, especially if they're long-term and persisting? So, um, I think maybe one of the problems of, of ministers and by extension, um, just your average Christian, is that they try to be, they're almost like cheap versions of the things in the world as opposed to great versions of the things that they're intended to be. So ministers kind of just become counselors. 
just kind of like uh, maybe less trained <laughs> in uh, in psychology counselors um, or advisors or whatever you want to call them. They become gurus or whatever. Um, what we can offer people is primarily the word of life, namely the scripture and the spirit of God speaking through us. That's what we offer to people. If you want to be of help to, let's let psychiatrists prescribe medicine. Let's let psychologists, if, if people need them, let's let them act within their field as, as cooperative entities to helping people through uh, their, their issues and their problems, right? I'm not going to try, if somebody out here separates their shoulder, I'm not going to try to set it. Unless there's an emergency and there's nobody else, nobody else available, okay? Otherwise, I'm going to ask a doctor to do that, and then I'll talk to them about how they're feeling about it, and pray for them, and offer them words of encouragement from Scripture. That's what I can do as a minister, and as brothers and sisters in Christ, what we can do is lovingly and gently point people towards the words of Christ, the Word of God pray for them, and above all else, just be with them, to just be around them. Um, There is more than just anecdotal evidence to suggest that some of the most powerful mental health healing happens within communities um, and people being loved and cared for by a community of people, a family like what we have here. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, in, in short, I think the best thing that you can be for someone is a friend who points them to the truth of scripture and who prays for them and stays with them. That's the best way to help those people. Don't try to fix them of their, their malady. That's going to have to be a God thing. The first book that I published is, is um, about fighting and beating depression. I have a chapter in there about how to help a friend with depression if you don't want to get the book. And we sell those books at author's cost down at church. I can't sell them online um, for that because they're on Amazon. But I, if you want one, we can get you one. Or you could email me and I'll send you the chapter in a Word doc. So I'm not up here selling books, although I would take money straight up. But no, kidding. The, uh, <laughs> um Again, if you just practice the one another passages, you know, listen, encourage one another every day while it is still called today so that none of you are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. You know, we preach the word in season and out of season. Yeah, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It, it penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. You know, all things are laid bare before him to whom we must give account. There, there's just no more powerful message. And we, we've kind of, we, we've, we keep inheriting religiosity. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. If you're, if you're a Christian, you have a relationship with a personal God who is personal to you. And as Jesus said, out of our hearts would erupt rivers of living water. And I, I've, I've sung a song with a lot of you. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. 
open your mouths. Speak the word of God to people, but you, but you have to write it on your heart. That's why Paul would say in your anger, don't sin, don't let the sun go down while you're angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. It's, you know, you, you help people with these with these things that are going through because depression is not an excuse to sin. Anxiety is not an excuse to sin. If there are emotions, you're going to have them. The emotion itself is not a sin. These are gifts from God that we've been given to kind of help us recognize things and make decisions so we're not just robots. We, we are... We're the people of God. We feel, and it's those things that allow us to hurt for other people and to have empathy and to love people. Well, when those things get out of line, they can hurt us. Um, but the best thing you can do is just be with people. But, but be careful. Don't, be, don't feel sorry for people that don't need felt sorry for. Be compassionate with them. Uh, I've told Probably some of you in here, listen, uh, you seem to be thinking you're pitiful and you're not. And I can show you what pitiful looks like. And you are a very blessed person. And your biggest problem is you're not thankful. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But I can't do that. That's BS. That's disobedience. Write it down and just say it. You know, just say it. Be joyful. Be joyful always. It, God wouldn't command us if we couldn't do that. But teaching one another and encouraging one another daily, that's why we need to be in relationships. This one is, how do you deal with um, mental health and negative sides of all that when your community is singing cheerful songs of praise? When your community is singing cheerful songs and praising God, how do you deal with that? I think they're asking as an audience member uh, when you're really dealing with some serious mental health issues and depression, anxiety, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I guess I guess we've established an order. Um, Ronnie, he's like, I'm content to just think about what I'm going to say while you just answer off the cuff. I like that. That's a good move. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... Ronnie's one of Ronnie's big deals. He's already said it is depression. My big deal has been anxiety, and we've both gone both gone through prolonged experiences, uh, you know, with those things. I mean, Ronnie's been experiencing depression more than the combined age of everyone in this room. Um, <laughs> so, and I'm not ashamed of my age. That's either. right. He's not ashamed of his age. So uh, I say that because you know, even Ronnie just saying like just because you're depressed doesn't mean that you can't write down praise God. He's, he's owned the right to say that. Um, and one of the things that, that I'll say is, um, man, whenever I am, when I'm, when I'm most anxious, whenever I'm most just upset about whatever's going on or whatever, there is nothing like worshiping God, man. Worship is powerful. It reorients the heart it reorients the mind. It reorients the body if you do it right. Get on your knees, <laughs> lift up your hands, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I look at the Psalms and what I see there, whether it's by David or, or anyone else, is I see someone who's willing to admit they're grieving. 
someone who's willing to be honest with God about their doubt, about their fear, about their issues, that kind of stuff. But then it always ends up how? By the end of that psalm. But praise the Lord on high. He has been with me from the get-go. He will be with me as I go forward. He will lead me out of whatever that I'm in. And so I'd encourage you, you can sing songs of praise to the Lord while grieving without faking. In the middle of a song that's talking about the goodness of the Lord and you're going through some dark stuff, being able to say, God, I'm struggling so hard, even in the middle of the song, say it out loud, pray it in your heart. God, I'm struggling so hard to believe this, but help me believe it. Help me to sing this song and then sing it. You don't have to pretend in our community. If you're down, it's okay to be down, but I want to encourage you, don't give in to despair. That's one of the things I've seen from students over and over again. They, God gives you the license to not be in a good place. He understands whenever you are, are depressed and sad and anxious and going through all kinds of junk, but don't do so without hope. Paul says, we don't grieve as the world does without hope. We have to grieve with hope. We have to have joy amidst sorrow. Those things, it's a paradox, right? Like how can I be joyful if I'm also sorrowful? The answer is that you believe in a good God whose goodness does not depend on whatever issue is happening to you or whatever thing that you're going through. His goodness is pervasive throughout. And so, yeah, I mean, it's okay to, uh, to, to not want to sing out loud or to, in, those, in those moments to, to have a conversation with God, but I want to encourage you to surrender that to God and sing those songs. And then also, we'll make a promise to you guys as a community to continue to try our best to figure out how to sing songs also and add songs in worship that express doubt and grief uh, and that also are, are songs of mourning as well. So we'll try hard on that too. And we have tried, but we'll keep trying. But then also, it's okay to sing a song of praise to the Lord in the depths of your troubles. And in fact, it's so good for the soul, especially when you don't feel like it. Don't just sing songs that you feel like. Sing songs that express truth regardless of what you feel like. Again, yeah, those emotions are just real and you, you identify them. They're, they're feelings. Uh, you, can, you can kind of look for the root cause. I think one of the things that's very helpful is is to pray in those moments and thank God for the joy of the people around you. Again, if things are excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. But if you sit around and think about how badly you feel, you're going to feel worse. If you sit around and, and pray about it, you're glad others don't feel like you right now, you're going to feel better. Uh, the, the kind of joy and peace that God gives us is, is a, a byproduct of our being obedient to him. And, and those, again, simple commands are, they're, they're, they're simple. I didn't say they were easy. I said they're simple, though. And, and so, yeah, when you, you just recognize that, you confess it to God, this is how I'm feeling, but don't feel sorry for yourself. 
again, I, I can, if you want to see what pitiful looks like, we can take you and show you some truly pitiful people. And I know it's sad. I don't mean to be uncompassionate here. Again, Garrett mentioned that. Guys, I, I've prayed that God would take my life with all sincerity. Um, and, and I've been just horrendously miserable a good part of my life off and on, but I can tell you I'm not, not there anymore. It's rare that I'm there and it's been a long time, but it's, you know, I had to fight my way and figure a lot of this stuff out. But yeah, you're going to feel those things, but just be thankful, pray to God and, um, be glad that other people get to feel that. We all feel that sometime. And, um, uh, it, who was it? Is it Casting Crowns that wrote the song, I Will Praise You in the Storm? I, I used that song this morning in my quiet time. I listened to it, and I was just thinking about that. You know, I'll praise you in the storm. And I think that learning to do that is, uh, is it's just Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I'll, I'll rejoice for God and I'll hurt for God. You know, I'll feel the, the pains of God, so. Yeah, these He's coming. Do you want my mic? Oh, this one's off, too. Hello. Awesome. Um, we had some questions around, um, basically around seeking therapy and counseling. This one, I'm just going to read a couple. I think it'll help. Uh, how do you overcome your fear of therapists coming from a church that says all you need is a Bible and not a therapist? And then what is the balance between, um, you know, biblical counseling and then clinical psychology? Is there a mesh between these two? So, yeah, just some questions around that stuff. Well, if, you, if you've ever been to a massage therapist, what they're doing is they're, they're needing your muscles to find the sore spots and the knots. And, and then when they find the knots, to, to knead those out and get the muscle to relax. Well, good therapy is, is to do the same thing with you psychologically to see where's the root cause of this, what you're feeling. What are you feeling? And asking questions to look for root cause so that you can look for answers to the root cause and not just treat the symptom um, you know, you can treat depression by taking ecstasy, I suppose, uh, but that's not going to fix your root problem. Um, that's going to just forestall it, and then you're going to feel worse after. So um, certainly there's not anything wrong with therapy. The problem is, is that if you're not careful, they're going to say things to you that are from the wrong paradigm that are godless. And, and you want to make sure you're talking to someone that's there to help you. But just Christian interaction is therapy. What we're doing here right now is therapeutic. It's, it's looking at things, talking about things. Walk and talks are therapeutic. The, the church is to be a therapeutic community if we're operating right. Uh, we're, we're, we're encouraging each other. We're, we're giving each other hope. We're speaking life to each other. We're teaching each other. Um, all of these things that are so important. The, as Garrett mentioned, we, 
science has just proven the power of, of social interactions. There's a reason that people that are married and or have good relationships live longer. Um, it, it's we're, we're social beings, and that's a very important part of us. So we need that. Um, but the idea that, um, you know, all therapy is just evil, I, you know, that makes me sad. I'll just say that. That makes me sad. I don't know where people get off to say because they've heard of something that may not have been bi biblical, all of that's bad. Um, that's a little naive at least. But um, So we, we use a couple of, of Christian counselors that really do practice Christian counseling. Um, but therapy is just cognitive therapy. You hear that. Cognitive is just your cognition. Uh, Neurolinguistics is just using words to speak back to yourself. I was telling uh, one of the guys I was with today that um, you've got to, you're, you're renewed by changing your thinking, Romans 12, 2, renewing your thinking. So you have to look at the thoughts that you're having that are just patently wrong. And then you've got to start and say this, not this. I'm priceless, not worthless. And believe the truth. Decide to believe the truth. If you're struggling with self-esteem and, and just these signals that the world sends at you, they're just lies. And when you embrace them and believe them, you're just, you know, you're just following the father of lies and, and, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, and that's Satan. But Christ has, has, has come so that we can have an abundant life. The word abundant there is the same word that's used over in Ephesians um, 3, 2021, where he says he can do exceeding abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. It's the same word, abundantly more. Uh, Jesus wants you to have this abundance of life that, that's full of meaning. That's not talking about an abundance of just happy. It's purposeful. It's meaningful. It's, it's, it's productive. You, you, you get to do things that matter and that are eternal. So... Yeah, I'll just stop there. Yeah, I mean, um, we people tend to fall on one side of a spectrum in terms of their deference to uh, experts or authority figures. We all have those people in our life that act like scientists or all of them are quacks as well as our doctors and things of that nature. So they're like, no, thank you. I'll choose essential oils. Um, sorry if that steps on any toes. Um, genuinely, I used to not be, so I am this time. I'm not trying to offend anybody. Um, and then there's the other side that acts as if, you know, well, a counselor, my counselor said it. So, and that's God, even though I don't really know their worldview, uh, and understand that there is a worldview attached to it. The simple fact of the matter is, is you are entering into a phase of life where now more than ever, it is important for you to understand Every fact, every idea, everything has a worldview attached to it. And there's only one right worldview. And that is a racy thing to say to this generation. But if you follow Christ, you believe the one right worldview is very simple. His name is Jesus. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he was not using hyperbole of any kind. Not, not even a little bit. I used to think he was like, just kind of like doing it, making a Jesus move with that. He was not. He was saying, I am the embodiment of all truth in the cosmos. I created it. I understand it. Likewise, every pastor, every counselor, every psychiatrist, every doctor is a sinful human being. I am, Ronnie is, Ryan is, your counselors are, your psychiatrists are. You are responsible for what you believe from them and from us. And the best way that you can be reasonably sure that something is true is to know Jesus well, very well, and to understand whether what someone is saying is truly of Christ. What they suggest is of Christ. That is what you, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. Man, I'm going to have such a hard time releasing my kids into the world and them saying, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I cannot imagine that just a simple 13-ish years from now, which seems like a lot to you, but it doesn't to me. I was in college like 20 years ago or 18 years ago or something. Jeez. Yeah, I thought, I thought he was old. Um, it's wild that what's required of you at your age is that now you have to ascertain all of these voices and figure out what's true or not. And this is the moment where I say, thank God he had the foresight to know that the only way we were going to have that happen with any reasonable assurance is that he puts his spirit inside of us. Praise God that he gives us his spirit to lean on and to listen to and to ask, does this match up with Jesus? Does it match up with Jesus? And you have to ask yourself that question about what psychiatrists, pastors, counselors, everyone is saying. A part of the problem that I see with the modern movement towards counseling is that we're just, it's just, it's just the new religion. We've just, the new religion is just psychology. I, I, maybe you don't know, but PhD is just a doctorate of philosophy. Did you know that? And a philosophy is just simply fancy word for a way of thinking about things, right? And everything is a philosophy. Your job is to figure out the philosophy of Jesus and to rigidly apply it to every area of your life, regardless of where that, where that is. And that is a tall order, but praise be to God that he puts his spirit inside of us to be able to do it. This question is kind of on the practical side, but do you guys have any tips for dealing with intrusive, invasive thoughts? Uh, they specifically asked even when they interrupt prayer and worship. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. That's, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, really beginning in verse 3. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know, we, we demolish, we, we, he basically says we demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Strongholds 
he's talking about there are these arguments and pretensions that exist within us that are against the knowledge of Christ. And, and that's why Christ is the standard. We, we test the spirits, as Garrett was uh, referring to, by is, is this of Jesus? He's the truth. Um, and, and again, back to the worldview, philosophy is about epistemology and ontology, the, the study of knowledge and the study of existence. What do we know? How do we know it? What does it mean to be alive? And the world has a very different view, which is very humanistic, and, and we have a different view. Our standard is Jesus. And, and so we, the more we know him, the more we can test the spirits that, that, um, that, that come our way. Um, so we, we take thoughts captive by recognizing it. I had a, one of our pastors ask me, had someone telling her that she was having suicidal ideation. Well, number one, I know you've been taking a psychology class or been to a psychologist. If somebody says that to me, I say, are you talking about killing yourself? Um, it's just a fancy way of that. And, well, are you just wanting to be asleep and not be alive? Are you really wanting to murder yourself? And, well, I've, I've been thinking about killing myself. Okay, I said, now let me ask you a question. Just ask her, how do you want me to respond with you telling me you're getting ready to kill a friend of mine? You want me to feel sorry for you? That's sick and evil. You're going to kill my friend, and you want me to feel sorry for you? We call the police over things like that. You, you, are, you are dancing with a demon with that kind of mentality. You do not have the right to take your own life. You didn't give it, and you're not to take it away. So those are just evil thoughts. So you've got to take the thought captive and say, what is it? What's wrong with it? And what should I be thinking? And that's, again, that's biblical cognitive therapy. You capture a thought and see what the schema is, see what's happening. These chain of thoughts, and you, you repent. That means change your mind. You take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. What does Christ want me to think about this. I am not worthless. I am priceless because my worth is not determined by anything human. The divine creator who is the appraiser of all things says, I am priceless at my worst. How dare me think anything else? That would be like one of my kids thinking they're worthless. And with, with a mom and a dad like they have to think, oh my gosh, how could you ever think you're unloved and worthless? That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I, I have a lot of intrusive thoughts whenever I'm driving. I don't know about you guys. Um, I'm also, my wife thinks I'm a sociopath because I don't listen to a lot of music when I drive. I just like to drive in silence. Um, in other words, I like to be alone with my thoughts and, uh, talk to God and things like that, but I'll have intrusive thoughts and I have kind of like a padded cause yes, for tips, I'm going to give you tips. All right. I have a padded console and I imagine there's a big reject button right there. And I literally, if I'm having one, I'm like, bam, and I hit it like pretty hard. And I just, I'm like rejected. Like that's not my thought. And that's another thing too. 
And I've told people this. I'm like, do you think those thoughts are yours just because you had them? No, they came from an enemy. They came from something outside of you. That's not you. That's not who you are. Don't believe that every thought you have describes anything about who you are. I have a lot of intrusive thoughts because they don't belong to me. They are intruding on me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not willing to internalize that I thought that. I didn't think that. That happened to me, and I said no to it. You, and there's a, there's a phrase that I heard, I think, Pedro say from a book or something that says, you can't stop birds from flying above your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. And it's the same way with these thoughts. Everyone's got them. And some of them are worse than others. There's no doubt about them. Keep fighting. If those birds try to land in that hair, fight them. Okay? Do whatever you can. And do not take prisoners with those thoughts. Do you understand what I mean? You must destroy those thoughts. It's like what Ronnie was saying. This is not something you should give quarter to. Do not let them into the gate of the castle. Shoot it with an arrow from far away. You get it? Reject it. <laughs> Every time it happens, rejected. Find something to smack. Reject that one as many as it takes. Keep on rejecting. And eventually it's going to get a little fun and you need to be careful with that. And you might start wanting those. But yeah, um, some of the tips I have is really just like, I'm like, okay, you're going to keep coming. Like how many birds am I going to have to bat out of the air? That's kind of a, a dark way to look at it. But you know what I mean? Uh, I wanted to say, I use the word stop and I use it quite a bit. When I recognize that I'm being stupid, thinking stupid stuff, I will, if I'm alone, I'll say stop. And, and then think, what should I be thinking? So I literally do that, and you need to just tell yourself to stop. What Garrett's talking about, that's what works for him. But you need a signal to yourself, you're going down the wrong road, so stop. And then think, where should I be going? Yeah, and also, I'll, I'll say this. Um, there's a difference between praying in your head and praying out loud. It's a lot harder to have the interest when you pray out loud. And I highly suggest praying out loud as a default way of praying to the Lord. You're talking uh, to him. Use, uh, the, the, use your speech, use your voice, use the, the, the levels of your voice and the tone and everything else. Speak to God out loud. Uh, and likewise, what Ronnie is saying, say out loud, stop, whatever you need to do. It is very evident whenever I am rejecting a thought, if anyone's in the car thing. <laughs> um, another thing is... Um is use um, thinking. If, if you have these compulsive thoughts, um, whatever works for you, you, do the multiplication tables in your head. Uh, count out loud backwards from 100. You're, you're, if your mind is engaged like that, it's hard for your heart to engage. And often that alone is a way just to distract your thinking from a lot of these negative emotions that that just kind of come in waves, and you think, where's that coming from? So be proactive. But that's why stop is just recognizing what you're doing is not what you're not thinking the thoughts of, of Jesus here. You're not thinking with the mind of Christ. What Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 2 is we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Um, but man, you know, you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling 
because God is working in you to will and act for his good pleasure. Again, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So, yeah, so doing things that require uh, analysis, math, things like that, you know, say all the capitals, anything to get your mind to stop going down a destructive path. And just those are some techniques. Yeah. So what do you do when depression makes you feel further from God or unable to feel connected to him? That kind of thing. Yeah, that's just a rebuke. It. That's a lie. Uh, God is not dependent on you. Um, you don't get to throw him away. He's not far from any one of us. And uh, he's, he's very powerful. Uh, he's very forgiving. He's very forbearing. Um, it's like a decent mom or dad. You don't go running because the baby's crying and acting stupid and has a dirty diaper. Um, and so even if they feel alone in the room, they're not alone. Um, and you're never alone. And so, you know, you, yeah, you've, you've got to rebuke that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of, of the apostles on the Sea of Galilee. Remember this, the story, furious squall comes up, right? Like, I mean, like it, they're sure they're going to die and Jesus is asleep. Like he's just reclining on some cushions inside and he is just asleep not because he didn't care but that's what the disciples inferred right because that's what they ask him they woke him up and they say jesus don't you care if we drown jesus you know rubs his eyes and is like i just fed five thousand people in front of you with like a basket like it's not dawned on you yet like that I'm God? Like that's, okay, I'll wait, okay, I'll get up. So he gets up, he walks out onto the deck and says the word in, you know, Aramaic, shut up. That's the word to the storm and it stops completely. And all the guys, rather than being like, oh, thanks, that was tough. They were terrified of him. Um, and I'm reminded of the fact that oftentimes our question to God is don't you care about us drowning? Don't you care that this sucks? <laughs> Don't you care that this is going on? And we sense from God's supposed lack of being there that he does not care. However, that is not true. And he's not asleep, I'll say that. Um, however, he knows more than we do about everything. He is very much there and he does care. But he says to us, each one of us, do not be afraid. Have faith. Have faith. And that's one of those things that's not popular to say anymore. It's almost like that's not compassionate to say, have faith, right? To encourage one another, to say, have faith, sister. Would you choose to believe the best about God just this once? But we have to be people who encourage each other to have faith. Yes, to be compassionate towards one another. Yes, to be empathetic towards one another. But to say in our depths of, of troubles and issues, whatever we're facing, to encourage one another, put your hand on someone's shoulder and say, have faith. Believe that God is present. And I think that's one way that we can serve each other. But yeah, that's certainly it. God does not come and go. He is not flippant. 
as a parent, I can't let my child just wander off by themselves. You're always going to see my child either attached to me, my wife, or a trusted friend. And I'm just a sinful dude. Okay? I could not leave my child. I could not. I can't even imagine that. There's nothing bad that they can do, no matter how tough they are. But I can tell you as a parent, my kids get in bad moods, and I try to cheer them up, and it is to no avail, nine times out of 10. In fact, it usually makes it worse. I really wish I knew how to make it work. And I get the feeling that oftentimes, in my own you know, struggles and problems, God in his presence is giving me good gifts and is, is still very much present. He's surrounded me by all these great people and I'm still just stubbornly not paying attention. All I can view is my attitude in that moment. All I can view is the depth of whatever I'm feeling. Um, but if we could just pay attention to what he's doing and believe the truth, the spirit he put inside of you when you said yes to Jesus, he ain't leaving. He doesn't just, he's not just here. He is inside of you. He literally has come and made his home with you by filling you with his spirit. And he's not going to leave. It's the deposit. He is the, he, the only word that we have in the New Testament of counselor, he's the counselor, the Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling inside of you. But yeah, I just, I'd encourage you in those moments. I know how hard it is to believe it, but I would encourage you, have faith Trust in God. He is trustworthy. He is very much present, even if you do not sense it. It's true. And, and faith is a conviction, not a feeling. One of the biggest challenges we face is thinking that my faith is based on how I feel in the moment. There are times that I don't feel loved by my wife, perhaps, and I know that's ridiculous. This woman has lived with me 46 years and put up with all kinds of stuff. There is no reason for me to believe she doesn't love me. That is utterly crazy. But, I, but the feeling is just what it is. You just So you lean in on your faith. This is what I know to be true. This is my experience. This is what I decided in my sane moment, and I'm not going to give up on that. And it's that way with God. Faith in God is what you believe to be true, and you decided to latch on to that. And there's going to be lots of times you're going to feel alone, you're going to feel distant from God, but that's just a feeling. You, you can't be distant from God. He's inside of you, and he's not relying on you, and he's better than that. Uh, God is greater than your heart. This one is, are we morally responsible for actions that are symptoms of mental illness? For instance, anger with borderline personality disorder or swearing with Tourette's. I had a, a, a strangely similar conversation this morning with a table of uh, adept students who were asking questions about essentially like children and, um, you know, can they sin like little babies? Can they sin and things like that? I will just say this about this question. And there is a... a I don't know why. Maybe your generation is less averse to mystery than the generation before it. But there is deep mystery in terms of the way that God interacts with us. I will say this. This is to be true about God. God is graceful. God is loving. And he is full of justice. 
justice as he uh, dispenses it will be the best version of justice that can possibly exist. I don't have an answer to the question of, am I morally held responsible for this, that, or the other? God knows who he's going to hold to account and for what, based on what they know, not based on what they don't. Based on what they can control, not based on what they can't control. I do know that because God is just. All I know is the good news for you, if you're struggling with that stuff, is you, regardless of whether it is something that is, um, you know, uh, you're morally held responsible or not, it is something that you get to fall on your knees every day, regardless of whether you had that problem or not, and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then you get to rise from that stance, knowing that he has had mercy on you, that he loves you, that his grace is is for you, that his love is for you, and that you are forgiven and free. So it, I don't know, maybe the best way to answer that is it don't matter. You, um, you are beloved by God, and you can ask for healing from that and repent from it, but... I don't know about you guys, but even without that, I still have a lot of other sin too. So I can just kind of throw that into the mix and be like, God, you know, whether I can handle it or not, I'd love to get better. Um, I want to repent from whatever I can repent from, but would you be with me? And would you still forgive me of whatever it is I'm dealing with? My answer is a qualified, yes, you are. Um, but God is very merciful. No, we we understand if a if a kid hasn't had their nap today, they're going to be a little crankier. We're gonna we're gonna look at that behavior in a different light. But them screaming and saying they hate you is still not okay. Um, so God God is in that He's just and He's full of justice. He's full of mercy, and um, He's fair. He's just going to be fair with you, and He's going to do what's best for you. And, and that's where trust comes in. A lot of these things like borderline personality disorder and, you know, bipolar disorder, these are just human categories that we've created to describe a, a set of kind of symptoms. And they're helpful. They're helpful to a degree, but often they don't really tell us the cause. And, and there's lots of neuroscience and, and um, psychology is trying to understand some of that, and, and that can be helpful. But killing somebody is always wrong, whether you know you did it or not. The, the degree of accountability is going to be different. But, you know, just remember, guys, you, you can fool us, and you can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. God, man looks at appearance because that's what God's given us the ability to look at. But God looks at the heart, and he sees those things, and, and that's where our trust comes in. God is rich in mercy. He's very patient, very forbearing. So to say, am I morally accountable, I, I don't think we mess up, and then what? We fall from grace every you know time we mess up. I, that's not it. This is a relationship that is powerful and, and, and long-lasting, and we just kind of lean into that and realize, you know, we're just weak sometime. But remember Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just run into him, lean into him, praise the Lord, you know, that's what you, you do in those moments. 
I'm going to do one more. Um, this is another one of those ones that was kind of a combination of a few, but can you guys just comment on um, medications uh, for Christians? There's, you know, kind of like with the therapy thing, there's some who come from a background where medications were not okay, that kind of thing. Can you just speak to that? Well, I, there's not one thing wrong with medicine. Um, I don't, I mean, Paul told Timothy to use wine for his stomach. Uh, he didn't say for any of your maladies, so don't over-medicate, guys. But, you know, it was what they had. And there, there are plenty of examples. God made us creative. And, and so, but, but you just have to be smart with that. If you think a pill is going to fix everything, you're just naive. It's not. But those things can be helpful. I wrote in my depression book, I started taking uh, Wellbutrin. I take the generic of it now, and I've been taking it now for probably 15, 18 years. Um, and, and John Von Runnen was the one that challenged me to try it. I, I wasn't against it then, but it's just hard to believe. It was hard for me to believe it would really help me. And... Um, and the, my doctor, who's a Christian at the, he was my doctor at the time, who is a Christian, he told me I probably should try that sometime. And I just said, oh, no, I just didn't, didn't want to take another medicine. That stuff can be pretty powerful. And, but one day I was just, you know, really hurting bad. And John said, Ronnie, why don't you just try it? And because my brother asked me and I said, okay, I will, John. And I went to the doctor and, um, the doctor said it'll probably talk, take about 30 days, and I didn't think much about it, and I started taking it, and I didn't feel anything. And within about seven days, I was driving down Renner Road, um, um, coming up on Shiloh there, and it was a spring day, and I'd been falling into depression in the winter, and a lot of stories behind that, and I... Um, I had that just a burst of kind of euphoria, you know, it, I wasn't dysphoric. I was kind of, I was, life felt good. And I just, I remember that feeling because I just hadn't felt it much. Um, and I just kind of was thinking and I'm thinking, Shh, I started taking that stuff a few days ago. And I'm, I'm telling you, it is what the doctor ordered for me. With everything held equal, it, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't keep me from falling off the edge. It helps me to be farther away from the edge. So I don't just feel like I'm kind of walking right there and I'm going to fall off anytime something happens. I'm going to fall off. And, you know, I'm one of the guys that teaches this stuff. And, uh, I also now use, uh, light therapy in the morning, which I had been following and reading about. And it's, it's just very helpful. I just have a seasonal depressive disorder. Um, so yeah, and I've, I've tried to wean myself off of Wellbutrin and I'll just, you know, I can go for days and then I'll be sitting somewhere and suddenly I'm just like the air goes out of me and I just feel helpless and hopeless and miserable and then I'll start thinking, I think I'm, <laughs> so it's not that it's addictive. That's how I felt before I started taking it a lot. 
but yeah, so I, but it doesn't, every medicine doesn't work for everybody. You, you just don't know. And if you're, if you've tried that and you say it didn't work for you, please don't be jealous. Uh, you know, you can try some other therapies and things and there's lots of things to try, but, but, but again, pre, proceed with caution with all medicine, talk to people, talk to other Christians and things like that. Really just move with caution about that stuff and don't see them as a cure-all, end-all. See them as a strategy to help you. Yeah, I um, I, I don't have a, a ton to add to that. I would just say medicine is is rarely going to heal you, but it can sometimes help you. Um, and healing whatever that looks like, the process of healing, the process of trying to overcome some sort of uh, neurological um, uh, issue, some sort of uh, problem with uh, serotonin or dopamine production or whatever, these are physiological things, right? So uh, it's just like someone that's like, I've got a headache. I'm against taking ibuprofen. Ibuprofen isn't going to necessarily, if you have repetitive headaches, fix your headache problem but it can temporarily help it feel better while you figure out what's going on. Uh, that has been the case for me with anxiety medicine. Um, I don't take it regularly. I take it as a, a spot treatment to help me get my feet underneath me in order to actually uh, to, to deal with what the problem is. And it gives me a second uh, as a life vest to kind of like pull that thing come up to the service and be like, all right, how did that just happen? Anyone that has anxiety knows exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, whoa, it's not like you dove into the water. It's just, you woke up and all of a sudden you were, you were 50 feet under and you were like, oh my gosh. And so that's the way that I felt with it. Um, and I just say that you don't use it as a, as a be all end all, like this is what's going to make me better. You've got some, some work to do as well. Uh, in order to, to try to grapple with that well and to be faithful uh, with that that issue. Uh, and I'd encourage you to do that. And a big part of that's being involved in community. It's about pursuing the Lord. It's about uh, you know having conversations with people, being vulnerable about whatever that you're, you're grappling with, have people know you, know a baseline, things like that. And so, yeah, I'd strongly suggest that you do that. But there's nothing, I don't, I don't have anything against um, taking medication for known physiological and, 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 and mental illnesses. Right. Uh, and I don't think that we should either, um, you know, theologians have a fancy word for it. It's called common grace. It's like, uh, air conditioning, uh, cars, things like that. We're like, man, thank God that he gave people brains to figure this kind of stuff out, but you should use it carefully and you should use it as prescribed. And also do not listen carefully. Do not use things that are not medicine like medicine. Do not drink in order to numb pain and in order to get out of all kinds of stuff, even if it makes you feel better. Not everything that makes you feel better is healing you. In fact, a lot of things that make you feel better are hurting you. And so you've got to be careful with that, whether that's marijuana or or, or whether that's drinking or whatever. And I know where I know there's a debate about those different things. I will say this, be careful with it, like what Ronnie is saying. Be careful with it. That's all. Well, cool. Thank you guys for uh, your time and answering all that stuff. I also want to say, um, yeah, give them a, a hand. Um, 
Yeah, I also want to say there was a lot of questions we didn't get to um, and a lot of those questions that we had to kind of combine that as we read the questions, there was a lot of, I could tell, personal stuff behind those questions. And I just want to encourage you to follow up on those. If you were one of the persons who wrote those questions or if any of this brought up more questions, talk to your friends, talk to your, your pastor at your campus and, and, and get those questions talked through. Yeah.